This week, three sides of the coin. We're down to two sides, although Mark does make an appearance, but I think we got cranky Mark this week. I think he sleeps through most of it, if I'm not mistaken. It looks he, like he went, he went he went to the dentist earlier, so he might still be a little jacked up on some He's crabby. laughing got crabby gas. Mark. Got crabby Mark today. Novocaine, I don't know what it is. So he, he left early. But we got an amazing discussion with Frank from Hatebreed, who's a huge KISS fan. This is Three Sides of the Coin, talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Two Sides of the Coin. I can't keep track of what side of the coin is here every week or not. Um, Does it really matter? You got the original two. We started this whole thing. Mark Enjoy shows up. Mark shows up later, leaves later. You know, it's one of those mm-hmm. things. Hosts come and go. It's like they stroll in, talk, leave. You know, we're just like a coffee shop. Um, Mm -hmm. Before we um, get into uh, this week's two guests, which is a great discussion, I know you're not doing your job this week, Tommy, so I will find some comments for you. Um, Dash Down, and this is on our newest show, which is the Bob Ezrin interview from 21 years ago that we reshared. And again... Michael did a great job with this interview, guys. So if you haven't heard it yet, some really cool stuff about track by track with Destroyer, but just talking, being honest and candid about uh, the Elder. And the Elder and, and Destroyer and Revenge and his career and mm-hmm. where he places Kiss. Um, Dashdown leaves a comment on YouTube. Man alive is this dynamite. The best, in, the best Ezrin interview ever maybe even the finest hour of rich, deep history available online. That's wow. some mighty high praise. Thank you, Dashdown. No shit. Um, let's see. Scott Bull, yet another great episode. Thank you. Bob was so ahead of his time and the catalyst of propelling Kiss to that next platform. Such a genius. Anything Kiss, anything Bob Ezrin, thanks again. Um Copafiel, Copafiel, maybe that's what it's supposed to be, Copafiel. Um, it's funny that Destroyer was considered a disaster but became a classic and the Elder was the opposite. Exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. that's part of what we yeah. kind of hit on is like, you know, Destroyer was that close to becoming Elder, except yeah. for Beth. Mm-hmm. Beth saved True. it. Um, all right, we'll just... That that's good for comments. One thing I wanted to mention before we get into this week's guests is um, if you're not aware of the Metal Hall of Fame, metalhalloffame.org, um, they're a they're a group that basically does a Hall of Fame for metal musicians. Basically, everything that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame sticks their nose up to and ignores. Um, mm-hmm. so they are doing their fifth anniversary bash, September 12th, 2021. It'll be their fifth round of inductions. And, um, this year's inductions are fantastic. Um, we'll save the best for last year, but they're inducting triumph. Uh, 
They're inducting Marty Friedman from Megadeth. They're inducting Striper, Paul Deano and Blaze Bailey from Iron Maiden, Derek Riggs, who's the artist and creator of Eddie. Um, but from the Kiss and world Weiss. and Mark Weiss, legendary rock photographer, you've seen all of his work everywhere during the 80s. Um, but Kiss has got a bunch of inductions into the Metal Hall of Fame this year. Doc McGee is being inducted by Paul Stanley. Bruce Kulick is being inducted by Eric Singer. Eric Carr is being inducted by Charlie Benante of Anthrax. And Bill Coyne is being inducted by Keith Ross, Roth, one of our past guests from Sirius XM. Um, I can tell you this is something for over the last year I've been working with the metal hall of fame to make happen. Cause I went down to their last event last year in LA just before COVID. And when it was all said and done, I was like, and you guys need to induct Kiss." I like, I bet I can get you Bruce, Eric, Bill coin. And then after further discussion, we also thought doc would be a great addition to it. Um, and it took a good year of back and forth to get all four of these guys confirmed to, you know, accept the honor of being inducted, who was going to induct them. Um, it's incredible that, that Paul is, uh, and all of this stuff, people, by the way, is pre-recorded video. It's not going to be a live event that you can attend because of COVID, but, um, Paul recorded a video inducting doc. Then Doc's got a video of his acceptance. Um, Bruce got Eric Singer to induct him. As I said, Charlie's inducting Eric Carr and Keith Roth is inducting Bill Coin. It's just so cool to see these people get the recognition they deserve. I mean, as, as we all know, as Kiss fans, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame basically put their middle finger up to Kiss and refused to induct Bruce and Eric and you know Bill Coins um, team has been trying to get him you know inducted well, for many years tirelessly yeah you know mm-hmm. you know starting petitions and getting but I'm glad that the Metal Hall of Fame at their fifth year now has been able to uh, give these guys recognition and this is uh, it's going to be so cool to watch this you know so Put it down September 12th, 12 p.m. Um, head over. We'll, we'll keep the information flowing as we know, links and everything else. But it's metalhalloffame.org. You can see all of the past people they've inducted. And believe me, it's been some pretty significant um, musicians have been inducted. Performances. Um, it's pretty cool. You've got a, you're going to have to check this out. And listen, as KISS fans, we should all be there watching this stream, sharing this news. You know, I, I think it's just great that Eric Carr and Bill Coyne are getting the recognition they deserve long after they've left us. Right. I agree. I think it's a, a wonderful thing and we need to support it. Yeah. So, um, you know, Follow us. We'll keep the news coming. Check out Metal Hall of Fame 
org. They're on social media. They've got a Facebook page and a Facebook group. Um, you share this news. Let's get the KISS Army out in force to support our four guys getting inducted. Um, all right. I don't think there's anything else KISS-wise that we need to talk about. No, nothing other than the tour is starting up here by the time this posts uh, it, it might be the first night. Yeah, fingers uh, so, crossed uh, that that this yeah this happened. That it, it goes off without any postponements or canceled shows. I'm just I don't know. I mean, every single day now I'm seeing other artists that have had to postpone shows. Yeah, canceled dates and yeah, it's it's not a it's not a guarantee. So if you can get out and see these guys, no, do it. Go. Yeah. Cause it might get shelved again for another year or six months. Another year. Yeah. We don't, we don't so, know. Want to get out. Yeah. Yeah. So this week we've got two guests joining us for what turns out. Oh, wait a minute. Be- wait a minute. What? Uh, wait a minute. You know, what we didn't, t- we didn't touch on that. We should is they announced the residency in oh, December. That's right. and- Vegas residency at, uh, planet hollywood is that where it's at yeah yeah do they have an arena there or something they i think they've got something like like the hard rock had you know a small small size venue like that that's awesome yeah yeah yeah, so so kiss is doing a a, another vegas residency in december um going into the new year going into the new year um i'm trying to think if there's anything else news wise that we need to talk about for kids. No, I just wanted to mention in case, probably not, but in case there's someone who's listening to us right now that didn't know. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of been officially announced and not in the sense that yeah. if you've been a longtime KISS fan, Gene talks about a lot of stuff in interviews before he's supposed to talk about them. And I think this yeah, is one of the, I think this is, for that. I think this is one of them. He mentioned in an interview that yes, they're doing a residency, but the residency hasn't announced it. And Kiss hasn't officially announced it either. If that all makes sense to you, it's just it's Gene talking about all the stuff that Kiss is working on. Um. Okay, so this week, two guests. Uh, we are joined by Frank from the band Hatebreed, and a good friend of his, John, who works in the music industry for ADA Music, which is one of the biggest music distributors out there. Huge KISS fans, lifelong KISS fans, incredible, nice guys. somewhat short discussion because they had to jump, but we're going to have them come back. We talk about their fandom, but we also talk kind of business. I mean, we're getting the input of a musician and a guy in the industry talking about kiss especially talking about like the 1978 solo albums so give it a listen we'll see you at the end we got some interesting homework for you waiting at the end as well want to get your official three sides of the coin logo and shocker tea now you can we ship worldwide get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com
Um, and, oh, and by the way, just so you guys know, when we're done with our interview, the three of us, or if Mark's not here, Tommy and I, we need to do our wrap-up ending pieces and intros and stuff like that. So give me a little silence. Hey, Three Sides fans, I know this is going to end up being a great discussion on music. I, I mean, just because of the, the prep talk we've been having before hitting the record button here. Uh, we got two guests joining us this week, Frank from Hatebreed and John from ADA Music. Now, John and Frank are longtime friends. And, and as they said, one of the common denominators amongst their friendship over the years, KISS. And I think we can tell, Frank, you've got a little bit of love for KISS. Just a little. A little. I mean, kind of looks like Mark's office there every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, um, you know, that, that smaller jumbo poster you got over your shoulder, that's hard to find. Yeah. Yeah, the smaller version. Yeah, I, I, I got one. But I mean, that's that's not hard. That's not easy to find. That one's kind of hard to find. I'm not sure that is that showing up smaller. I think it's the normal size one. Oh, no, the normal size one's freaking huge. I mean, this is about what she five, said. This is about five feet tall. So, oh, the art. So that is the normal. Yeah. It just looks yeah. small on it. So, so yeah. Frank, let me ask: Are those? Uh, it, first of all, is that a a Kiss record player below the poster? It is. Yeah, the record player, uh, the puzzles. Are, I don't know if you can see in the shot the Magic Market cups. The, I was going to say the Magic Market cups. Yeah, yeah, I mean those those are pretty rare too. There's some I'm looking at a screen about this big, so it, it, okay, that's why yeah. it looks so small. <laughs> All right, now um, I see the contrast because you have the solo posters on the other side. Okay. Yeah, those, those I – so I heard – yeah, I managed to get all four of the guys to sign those. Um, I think Peter was the last one I needed to meet of the four. I went to the less of the shit show Peter Expos in 2017. I went to the L.A. one, the not the, yes. turn, the, not the turn in the punch bowl one. So I guess I kind of got lucky. I got kind of got lucky there, and the experience was fine for that one. So he, he was the last one I needed to get signed. And, in the by, by the way, we could already tell Frank's a three sides lister. Just throw <laughs> that comment out. Yeah, <laughs> turn in a punch ball. <laughs> it's funny. I did the opposite, Frank. I got I got my alive two one signed. I didn't get the solo one signed, but uh, yeah, that was a quest too. Um, back in the day. And someone came up with a great idea last night. Actually, it was Michael Baldwin. We were sitting around doing a kiss auction and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out and buy a 75 or 70 inch TV. I'm going to turn it sideways. I'm going to scan in all of my photos and posters and I'm just going to have it running on a mm. US roll. I'm like, that's kind of a cool idea. You yeah. Know? yeah. I mean, for digital everything. posters. Yeah. Don't, don't give Gene the idea. Yeah, it'll, 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 it'll be selling you all the posters all over again digitally <laughs> um all right so guys you know before we just start letting this conversation conversation go where it will go let's get a little kiss background for each of you uh you know john why don't you start with you know when did you get into kiss how did you discover them was it you know what we we always like was it the music or was it the makeup that first got you okay i love this so my first discovery of kiss came i lived in europe at the time and i went to this uh clothing store that happened to sell records and inside of the clothing store i came upon an ace freely picture disc 
of this solo album, which I still have. And I'm like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And I need to get it. How so old were you? How old were you? I was eight years old okay. when, when, when this moment happened. And I had a, my, my dad had a record player and I brought it home. I put it on a turntable, rip it out, started playing. I'm like, this is unbelievable. And at the time, the only other musical reference I had was Elvis Presley. So this was like a completely different thing entirely. So that led to uh, buying a 45 of I Was Made for Loving You in Hard Times, um, which then led to, this was right around the unmasked period. And so 1980, unmasked, and I bought from a classmate the poster that came inside the vinyl for Outmasked, not, not realizing that he'd gotten it for free. So <laughs> I got the poster. My mom was very upset. She made my friend give me back the money for the poster. And then um, they were touring with Maiden. And yeah. I think it was either, was it the Killers tour or the first Maiden record? I can't remember. It was the first Maiden record. We just had uh, Dennis Stratton on. Uh, last, last, week. last week, Dennis Stratton from Maiden. Yeah, they were touring. With them. They, they had songs written for the right. second record, but they hadn't, they hadn't released Killers yet. Got it. And so I convinced somehow my parents that I had to go to that show, which was, which was the, the unmasked tour. And that was the beginning of all of it. And it's however many years later, and we're still having this conversation. <laughs> so, 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 so John, let, let me ask, before you saw the Ace Fairly picture disc, had you heard anything about Kiss? Were they, did you know anything about them? Or was it a pure brand new virgin discovery? It, it was a virgin discovery slash voyage. And when I saw that vinyl, I'm like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I need to get it. It was sort of like one of these like impulse sort of right. moves. And at the time, because it said Kiss, and I didn't know that there was more than one guy in Kiss, I thought that was like a Kiss album. I actually didn't realize that it was a solo record, but the record is so incredible that I just listened to it at nauseum. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. Um, many years later, when I was a journalist, I actually had him sign the solo CD of that album. And I actually, I, I told them this whole story. This was around <coughs> trouble walking era when Richie Scarlett was, uh, was, was touring with him. Um, so I've been, a, I've been a Kiss Army guy for going, shit, I'm going to date myself for 41 years now. And, you know, through every iteration of the band, I have, I've stayed loyal. And I can't remember a time when I just completely disconnected from Kiss and just didn't pay attention, even through like the, the leaner nice. years, if you want to call, <laughs> call those things, the leaner years, and even through some of those questionable makeupless records, I still found moments in all those records that enjoy of things that I, I loved about the band. And then when I got back together in 96, um, like, like anybody who was a diehard, I lived in New York city and I went to like, I think three of the four 
shows of the garden. And I'm like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen because I, I didn't pass on Matt. I never saw the seventies shows and I saw them a bunch of time without makeup. I saw them numerous times on the hot in the shade tour. Um, but that was a whole different thing. Like seeing the band back together and whatnot and, you know, completely transformative. So, so it, it sounds like what got you first was the visual because you hadn't heard any kiss songs before then you just saw the cover the ace Frehley cover i saw the ace Frehley cover and it blew my mind and he's still my favorite member of 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 the band um, he's, he's he's the keith richards of kiss he is and he's such a he's such a new york character like you couldn't you couldn't really make him up if you tried you right. know what i mean um and i, and I also think He's a, he's a hugely underrated guitar player and the things he plays are so tasteful and unique to him. People can't recreate those things that like that's, that's clearly him. And uh, I also think he's put out a, a lot of good to great solo records that came after that record. Um, anyhow, I could go on for hours, but that's the, uh, that's the root of my kissdom. So, so Frank, same, same question to you. When did you discover kiss? How old were you? Was it makeup? Was it music? I had it pretty easy. I mean, I grew up in Cleveland. That's where I'm originally from. And, and as you guys know, that's a huge kiss town, a huge rock and roll town. And, uh, my parents party their asses off in the seventies. And, uh, they tell stories of, you know, my father said when Deep Purple, when Smoke on the Water just came out, I would dance and with shit in my diapers on and stand and hold on to his tower speakers. Um, it makes sense, too, because I was born and I was like, I'm trying. When they would tell me this later on, I kind of did the math. I was like, that makes sense. I was born in the fall of 71 and Machine Head came out in 72. I was like, they're they're telling the truth. So, you know, uh, being introduced to music at such an early age like that, I found out about Kiss through kids at school and things like that. And uh I spent a lot of time with my grandparents who I thought were the greatest people in the world. And my grandmother would spoil me and she would take me to Sears at the time, which sold records uh, upstairs at Sears. There was vinyl and uh, there was a display with a bunch of kiss records and rock and roll overhead just came out at that time. And I grabbed that record and that was my first one that I got. And that from then on, it's been, even though I knew about the band, I heard the songs on the radio and the kids at school and stuff, you know, um, Cleveland were actually playing kiss songs on the radio, but, um, WMMS, but uh, you know that's where the journey began for me um, back back when uh, Rock and Roll Over came out. So and and then when did you see them in concert for the first time? I didn't get to see them until you know my parents split up and uh, divorced, and years had gone on. I still loved Kiss, though, and even though I was getting into other kinds of music and stuff, uh, the first time I saw them was at the Richfield Coliseum, which is Cleveland, uh, unanimalized with Queensryche opening. And uh, it just was my, our seat sucked and, but it just was life-changing for me. But, you're, but yeah, I mean, like, 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 like I always tell people, it's like, I'm in the same building as Kiss. That's exactly. all that matters. They're yep. in this building. <laughs> That's what I say when I board the ship every year, I'm on the same boat as Kiss and there's way less people <laughs> on this boat than there was at that Amalai show. <laughs> it's nice that none of us have lost that. And I was trying to explain that to a coworker today who doesn't get the Kiss thing. And I'm like, you don't have to get it. The, the what, what you're missing is is it takes you back 
to your childhood. It takes you back to those feelings of loving music, just like the Stones and any other band you can think of. And I think that that sometimes get, gets lost on people who aren't um, as attached to music as the five of us are. Sure, absolutely. Um, so Frank, when did when when did you start making that transition from being a fan of music to I want to be on stage and I want to do that? I mean, I'm not the only kid that put a live two on and, and some makeup and had a tennis racket put a concert on for the family members or neighbors. So I was dreaming of that young, as a, at a young age. But as I got older, you know, I, like I was saying, I spent so much time with my grandmother and my grandparents. I was always watching her cook. I was always into that. And I thought I was going to cook and be a chef in my life because who can make a living off music now that I'm a teenager now? And that's a one in a million thing. And, and here I am, the guitarist in Haybreed, I've been playing and touring bands and going all over the world for 30 years now. And I still am doing all the cooking in the house when I'm home. But it's just kind of, I got lucky. You know what I mean? I got lucky. And um, I, I, I attribute it all to Kiss, though. I mean, if you watch any interview, I do a lot of press for the band, probably second most to the singer. I can't do an interview without talking about Kiss. And I know a lot of Haybreed fans don't want to hear that because the music's so much different. But this is, it's why, it's what put me in this position. It's because of this band that I am got into this band at such a young and early age. It was the blueprint for what I wanted to do. And it's, it's a huge part of uh, my, my career now. Um, I, I think more, more music fans need to, we always say it's like step out of your comfort zone, you know, don't just listen to kiss. I mean, there's a, I mean, as much as we all love kiss, there's a lot more music out there. Step out of your comfort zone and listen to something else and you know finding we've we've talked about this many times on the show you know we love that family tree searching you know all of a sudden you know paul does an interview who says you know i grew up and oh the pretty things were a band that i loved listening to as a kid pretty things who's that oh let me go check this out and all you know now you go down that rabbit hole of this is the band these are the bands that influenced the artists that I like. And you can start seeing how it impacted. Musically, it could be completely different. Visually, obviously, Kiss is completely different than almost everything out there. But I, I wish a lot of fans would take the time to go, oh, Frank, you grew up as a Kiss fan? Well, let me, okay, I'm not a Kiss fan myself, but let me find out why did they influence you? How did they make you what you are? And I think, you know, if more fans do that, you discover a lot more music. I think, I think one of the things that, that's harder now, though, with the younger kids is we all got into Kiss in the 70s early on. I think it's, you know, when I was a kid, I, I got into them so young that I was convinced that they weren't human people, that I convinced that they had superpowers because I saw the movie on TV and I read the comic books and things like this. And I would look at as much as I loved putting on the cover Destroyer, I was young as hell and it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. You know, um, a kid that's 20 some years old now is not going to go back and look at Kiss. Kiss is nonsense. It's ridiculous. And I'm not poking at uh, this man, but like they might be like a huge Slipknot fan. Same thing. Guys on stage, they have the mask, huge show and all that stuff. It's all the timing thing like that. So yep. I think it's harder now to see the younger people go back and get, in, get into Kiss. But when I do see people in their 20s, 
and and thirties and kids like that that I know uh, are that I meet on the road or wherever people in other bands that we tour with, I get so pumped up when I find out that they're Kiss fans because I know that they weren't around in the seventies and the heyday, so they must have gotten into it longer along the line uh, later down the road, and it, it was a different way that they got into it than we all did. Yeah, I mean that's one of the things the three of us love hearing about from our listeners and talking about is like we got to remind ourselves, yeah, you know, we all got into kiss. Like, you know, 76 is when I discovered kiss the Paul Lynn Halloween special, but there's a, you know, because this band has been around for pushing 50 years now, people have discovered them all throughout that career. You know, one, one of the, I think Tommy, one of the, the first moments I had that aha moment is when we had Andy from black Play black veil brides on the show you know huge kiss fan and he's like i didn't discover kiss until 1992 the revenge album and we're just like how is that even possible you know (laughs) i can't even comprehend that but that doesn't mean they're any less of a fan you know know, for sure there's five-year-olds discovering kiss on sonic boom and it's like i might sit here and go well that's you're missing the whole thing, the journey that we went through, but God bless you for coming on board at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, every band out there, I mean, you could probably attest to this, Frank, you would love it <clears throat> if you could continue to have young kids jump on board decade after decade after decade. That keeps your band alive. That keeps you relevant, selling products, selling albums, touring, everything that you can do. As opposed to a band that, well, we peaked in 76, they disappeared in 77, and you've never heard from them since. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, it's funny, uh, our, 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 the kid that does our merchandising on a tour, he's in his 20s, and I, I didn't know him before he showed up to do the first tour for, all right, who's this kid, whatever. He's in his 20s, he walks on the bus the first day of tour, and he's got a giant rock and roll over tattoo on the back of his legs. I was like, I was like, wow. I, stood up, I was like, get out of here. And like by the third, you know, by the third day of tour, we're up at night drinking, listening to Kiss. I'm like, I'm getting a tattoo of you now on the back of my leg. So I was so excited for this, that this kid, but he's a perfect example. They're out there. You got to find them. You know what I mean? But like you said, though, Kiss has done such a great job. They've kept themselves current, whether it was showing up on Family Guy or, or Kiss and the Scooby-Doo thing or, or being on a Dr. Pepper commercial, they're, it, they're out there to see. They're not, it's not like you don't know about them. You know what I mean? They're yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, as much as I, I might get turned off by, it's like, oh my God, they're on American Idol. How bad is this? Sure. This is just, oh. But then I sit back and go, yeah, but it was the Paul Lind Halloween special that got me. And, it, and, and I say this all the time. I challenge you, go back and watch the Paul Lind Halloween special now. Yeah, And you'll go, oh my God, what a corny act. They were lip syncing and it's dancers and sequins and makeup. I'm like, that's no different than when they were on Dancing with the Stars or American Idol. And if it gets a new fan because they were on American Idol, great. Because it worked for all of us when they were doing that stuff in the 70s. The thing I feel so grateful about, though, being a fan from the 70s is we have something that I consider to be unique experience. And I don't want to sound old, but 
it was a simpler time for music because you would look forward to those new releases or the magazines and you'd go to the record store, buy it, come home and sit for hours looking at the lyric sheet or you're looking at the credits and all of that. And you had to use your imagination. Now it almost seems like it's overkill for a younger person to find any kind of music because there's so much at your fingertips. Totally. That it almost seems overwhelming. So I, I would say of all the people we've spoken to, Michael, you're probably the one I think that of all the folks I know the most open-minded about trying different music, but I like how you use Spotify and you allow the playlist uh, to happen and then have it say something to you like, hey, you like so-and-so, Angels and Airwaves, so maybe you'll like this band. And Because yep. I, I don't know how, how you find it anymore. I mean, that excitement of going over to friends' houses, biking over there with Rock and Roll Over going, dude, check this shit out. You know, that just doesn't happen. Anymore. It's so interesting because I did another podcast with Michael earlier in the week, and I work in the record business, full disclosure, so I'm a marketing guy by trade. And we talk about all day long about how generationally people find things and discover new music, right? So I've got two kids and they're discovering every bit of music that they gravitate to on TikTok. And so while the perception of TikTok that it's just for really young kids, it's actually absolutely not. It's like a complete misnomer, right? My wife spends two hours a day on TikTok looking at Harry Styles and dogs, right? So my, my older daughter, who's now 15, uh, a few months ago said to me, I have discovered this amazing band from the 90s. This is a direct quote. And she plays me Baba O'Reilly. And, and I said to her, where did you discover this thing? She goes, well, it was on the show called Stranger Things. And then I Googled it. And then I went to TikTok and I added it to my playlist. And she listens to it constantly. So she will listen wow. to that in the same playlist as she listens to Trippy Red, Billie Eilish, whatever. She knows nothing about the band. Okay. And, and I think what's interesting is generationally the, the brand buy-in that we had growing up as kids and the, and, the, and the mystery that existed behind you're opening the double vinyl for a live one and a live two, a live one. I remember reading alive one those like little like notes that each yeah. member wrote and trying to like dissect what that meant you know like, trying to a, picture a, them actually writing it yes a, a, a lot of those things no longer exist because of the instant gratification aspect of social media has completely changed everything and now streaming in america in the last uh seven years has has uh, erased a lot of those things where you, it's, it's all you can eat buffet all day long, right? However, what I will say is that if you're a Gen Z kid or a millennial, when you find your version of KISS, what, whatever that may be, and a lot of it today are rappers who are really kind of the rock stars of today or somebody like Billie Eilish, who I happen to really like, I went to see her play live and I'm like, this is the real deal. Like she's the real shit. Like as much as the, the music is, is kind of bedroom made and the whole thing, those kids buy in in the same exact way we bought in is that it's just that they're the way they get introduced to it is completely different and they have a million different places to seek it out, right? You can Google an endless kind of stream of things and spend 
hours looking at it and they do, you know, and the, the thing that I often say, and then I'll, I'll come off this tangent is that there's so little mystery left in music today. Like everything, like, like the black crows go on tour for the first time in six years within 15 minutes, there was a video of the opening song of the right. show. Right. Right. There's, there's, there's no, nothing is left to kind of a mystery anymore. And, and as a, as a fan, I really, really miss that, you know, mm-hmm. and that was one of the things that was so extraordinary about this band up until the, I guess, up until MySpace came out of a, you know, started is that you, ne- you never, you never really knew. And you were always trying to figure out either, either through, you know, the liner notes, circus magazine, hit parade or cream, whatever those things may be, you know, um, I realized I just went on like a long story. Well, no, no, I mean, that, that's no, it, this stuff's interesting. Yeah, yeah and we've it's talked really about interesting. It. We've talked about it. It's, yeah, you're right. It's fascinating. But, but I've got a question, John. I'd love to understand from your perspective. So, Billie Eilish makes sense to me for a myriad of reasons. Mm-hmm. The ones that don't make sense to me is, is I don't know, pick a band right now that would be the equivalent of a cheap trick early on in their career where they've got really well-written songs. They're probably a little quirky, but they're not dance. They're, they don't fit into the Billie Eilish thing or the stuff that's traditionally popular. How do you take a band like that and get them to the point to get them to? So your timing of this question is actually inspired. The biggest streaming act in the world right now in this very moment is an androgynous rock band from Italy called Maniskin, who came out of a nowhere and won Eurovision. They, they jumped Olivia Rodrigo. They have 51 million monthly listeners on Spotify and they're gigantic, right? So I think with rock music, the, it, it, it comes in, I, I think it comes in 25 to 30 year cycles where something comes back and changes your life. I think the last time that happened was literally 30 years ago with Seattle, right? There hasn't been like a transformative movement in rock music that gets played on guitars in that kind of way. You could point to Radiohead and these kind of random things, but not in that it changed the world, right? So to answer your question about the cheap trick kind of artist, that is a perfect example because the things that, appear out of a jack-in-a-box that are lightning in a bottle are never the expected things. And that band is a perfect case in point. If anybody Mm -hmm. had said six months ago that an androgynous band from Rome, Italy, was going to have a song that's gigantic, that by the way is a four-year-old cover song, and be the (sighs) biggest global streaming song in the world, you would have been laughed at. Right. Yeah. But in, yeah. in, in the same way that like when Adele happened, right. And I saw Adele play the Apple store in New York in front of 19 people. And I'm like, she's the best singer I've seen in the decade. This is the, this is unbelievable. Right. But she wasn't that Adele yet. And what do I know? Like right. it could have gone nowhere. Right. However, yeah. th- to answer your question, the, the things that don't fit in that box, right that kind of now penetrate the slipstream of popular culture, it happens so quickly 
like from that band that I just named Maniskin from the time they won Eurovision to them having 51 million monthly listeners on Spotify, which by the way is five times as many as kiss just to kind of to frame that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that happened in less than six months, you know, and, and that's how quickly the world, the world kind of evolves back in the seventies, you put out three albums in 18 months and you toured them over and over and over and you, you broke the old fashioned way. You broke through touring, you broke through FM radio, you broke through press and all that kind of stuff. But those artists were given enough runway to do that. Journey, REO, Cheap Trick, all those yeah. bands that, you know, Kiss, Perfect Kiss. Mm -hmm. I mean, Kiss was about to be over, right? Before Alive One came out, as great as those records were that preceded it. Um, so anyway, th that, that is the kind of the, the, the cheap trick of, of the moment. I think you can point to things like that, that you never see, you never see it coming. You're like, where did that come from? You know? Well, you know, so Frank, Frank, you mentioned this and I was going to bring this up to both of you. You know, one of the things, cause as, as we say, or Mark is so fond of saying, but we agree with timeline is so important to all of this, your timeline in the music space of an artist's career is very important. And our timeline with KISS, all five of us got to experience the mystique of KISS. You know, Frank, as you talked about, you know, we, they were demons. That was, that was a real demon on stage. Those were real superheroes on stage. I've said this many times, like, Okay, we know Superman and Batman are superheroes, but we also know they're not real. It's a comic book. It's fake. But Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Ace Fraley, and Peter Chris are actual real superheroes. As, as a kid in the 70s, those were really superheroes. It was a real persona that you could go see on stage that coming off stage was a normal human that they refused to be photographed. So you could never see them. That wasn't a comic book writer making up some story. That wasn't some after school Spider-Man cartoon you were watching. This was real. And, 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 and John, maybe you've got more input into this because of being in the, in, in the music industry and, and working in various capacities, but I'd like to get both your inputs. Could Mystique ever happen again? Not just for Kiss. But for any band, is, is it impossible to create a mystique of a band in this era now with social media and internet and TMZ and, and paparazzi and, and full transparency on everything? Could that ever be done? I'm, I'm going to give you the short answer with one word. Kanye. Right? The mystique Kanye has around him and all these things that we perceive to just be completely crazy town. I think some of them are, and some of them are him being crazy like a fox, and some of them are completely premeditated. The mystique around him is unbelievable, and around some rappers that we know very little, like very few things about that are gigantic, even though, even though kids are trying to figure out what that is. I also think, you know, when I think of mystique in, in, in today's world and rock music, so to speak, there is mis there's still mystique around Tom York. There's still mystique around Trent Reznor. There, there's a handful of these artists that are 
transformative in the worlds that they live in. But I also think we're, go, we're, we're hitting mass saturation on social media and shareability where there's going to be an artist at one point, and I can tell you, I can't tell you what they're going to sound like or what they're going to look like. We're going to go the completely other way, right? However, in order for them to succeed, the music and what they're delivering has to literally be life-changing because well, if, if, would, if it isn't- could, yeah. could, Couldn't um, Daft Punk- That was my example, Mike. Be, be, be that, that, I mean, Daft, Daft Punk, there's, there's two guys- who you never saw, you you had no idea who those guys were, but their music right. really captivated and you know exploded. I sure. mean, and it was it was a big deal when Daft Punk retired and they took their helmets off. Totally, and and but but and again, those songs are unbelievable. They they are evergreen pop songs, right? So you can't you can't underestimate the the quality of the work. That goes with that. By the way, Marshmallow too. I'm not really a big Marshmallow fan, but those songs are gigantic pop songs, right? And that repertoire will be generationally probably evergreen for many, many, many years to come. It's just not guitars, you know. But the the, the Daft Punk example is is actually a perfect example of you just never you never really knew who was behind the mask, you know, pun intended. Do, you know, Frank. I mean, your, your input on this. Do you think if KISS, instead of starting in 73, started in 2003, trying to follow their exact same format of we're wearing makeup, never going to be photographed without makeup, could, that, could they do that? Could that actually be pulled off in this day and age? I think it could be pulled off, but is it going to be you know, so much stuff's been done since then, you know, so I think they, they certainly could do that, but will it make them the band as the big band that they, they were, you know what I mean? Would they have the success that they had throughout their career now? Probably not. You'd have to, you'd have to think no on that because like I said, so much stuff's been done. And as far, and, and a lot of the stuff that John's mentioning, I don't even know who those artists are because I don't follow it too much these days, but um, it's just with, as accessible as things are with the, the computer and internet and social media and things like that. I mean, the only thing that for mystique for me is these artists that don't, they just keep to themselves and they don't let the public know much about them. And you know what I mean? You have to find tidbits about yep. things like that. And people will dig. I mean, if you're a fan of somebody like that, did you hear this? Did you hear this? Did you hear this? You know what I mean? To me, that's just the extent of it though, because it's been, it's gone on for so long and, and everything has been done. Isn't, isn't part of it also just, acting like a rock star so even if if you're not kissed you're not wearing makeup you're not hiding your identity there there's something you know growing I, i'm sure i'm speaking for all of us growing up as kids even if it wasn't kiss if it was the rolling stones or if it was cheap trick or whoever we were listening to there was that rock star mystique itself like oh my god these these guys are just huge rock stars and they're on a pedestal and maybe that was partially set up by the record labels creating these mystiques. I mean, you know, the fake stories of where kiss came from and the fake stories of cheap tricks background. I mean, back, back in the day, that was, that was the deal. It's like, okay, you're an unknown artist. Well, we're going to create a backstory. 
because your backstory, your real backstory is not exciting. You know, four kids coming up from the streets of Cleveland isn't exciting. We're going to make some backstory that's going to sell to the press. Um, so that rock star mystique was always important as a kid for me. And I feel today, a lot of these musicians don't treat themselves like rock stars anymore. They're just everyday person on the street. They're hanging with you. They're sitting with you there. And, and again, there's, that's got an advantage because you're connecting at a level that a fan can relate to, but you're also now bringing yourself down to the level of your fans and saying, I'm just like you. Well, but Mike, don't, don't fans that, want you to be more than that. Mike, that cuts both ways though, because that's supposedly Bruce's image, the everyday kind of work guy, but it's just that it's a fucking image. Sure. It's not him. He's still going to the fanciest restaurants and, flying on private plane Bruce, and and bruce springsteen is who mark's referring to yeah not and, bruce and kulik that, oh, did i say bruce kulik <laughs> no 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 but no. it's a kiss show <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah but that's what i mean bruce springsteen's uh you know baseball hat in the back pocket is 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 every bit as what gene simmons tongue is i mean it's it's meant to you know an image it's meant to promote that sort of you know, ethic or whatever, you know, it's again, it's, sh it's show business. And, and that's what that, what that's all about. Well, what do you think, Frank? I mean, do they expect more from you? I mean, from what we do, we're a personable band. We come from the basements of America. We're never going to be rock stars like yeah. that. It doesn't matter how big the band gets. We're very accessible and you know what I mean? But I, I think that it's funny now the word rock star is thrown around so much now. It's like none of the rock stars are in rock bands. They're in hip hop and country. <laughs> I know and they're flying across the arena with pyro and all this stuff. It's, it's crazy what the, the term rock star and all that is, but you know, you have that attitude and walk around, I guess what makes you a rock star is how unaccessible you are and how nobody can get to you and how big, how many seats you're selling at the arena and how many, how many records you're selling and where you're at on your streams and the charts and all that stuff. Um, I guess that's what would make up that. But I mean, me, you know, I mean, you have to have that. You have to have the attitude too. You know what I mean? So, you know, and I've, I've always said this about kiss, but this is very true in this modern era. Perception is reality. So you might not be that huge. And we could probably all of us name artists that would fit this description that are not big by any means in the reality, but they create a perception that they are just huge and, you know, a lot of the the public just believes the perception. Well, early on, that's how Bowie built himself. He, was, he didn't have anything. And they his management promoted him like he was some huge rock star. I'm talking about the very beginning. Um, you know, Bowie struggled at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And uh, but they played him up as you know, basically from another planet sort of thing. So, I mean, that's been going on, you know, for, for many, many years. It is funny though, just how different things are because um, like Frank said, it's true that we now talk about, you know, Obama's a rock star and, and this TV talk show host is a rock, you know, they, they throw that word out now yep. because it's, it's separate from music. I mean, they do it from for, for matter of fact, I, I, my 
Liz, Liz was really into watching the Olympics and they were talking about some of the gym. Oh, she's a rock star. I mean, I, I was funny because I keyed, on, keyed in on those words and how they throw that around now, just generally speaking. And, you know, you're right. A rock star isn't, doesn't necessarily have to be a musician anymore. Yeah, very much so. I mean, again, I think it's, it's almost, it's almost like part of a job description. Well, I mean, it is. I've seen plenty of job descriptions where it's like, you've got to be a rock star programmer. What the hell is a rock star <laughs> programmer? There you go. No, that, that's yeah. true. Everything from politicians to sports figures, they are getting, you know, described I mean, at. I mean, I, I, if, if somebody said that, I'd be like, oh, so you want me to just lie about everything and tell you that I'm bigger than I really am and create this great perception and demand when I'm really not selling, you know, you know, here back to kiss the solo albums, Frank. I mean, talk about perception is bigger than reality. Sure. Well, I, I mean, mean, kiss was you're they're in a funny place right there. You know what I mean? The solo albums and why not? I mean, they were selling everything at that point and why not think that you're going to sell four times what a kiss record did in reality. It only sold what, what, what one kiss record would have sold. Um, but you know, why not? I mean, they've never been afraid to take chances. You're talking about things like them being on American idol and, making a grunge record and having Scooby. I mean, you're not, you're, you can't, you can't hit the lottery if you don't put the coin in the machine. You know, oh no. I mean, you can't win the jackpot if you don't hit the coin in the machine. So um, I thought it was great because at that point, even still, I think a lot of people were still, and, and a lot of young kids obviously were getting into kiss around that time. It became kids under 10 and all that, but they were still getting into the band. Then once you bought that one record and they had the poster in it, you got to have the other three and then so forth. So you know, perception game, it, 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 at the end of the day, it might have not, not worked out for them. But I think that it's smart for bands to play the perception game, whether they are big or they're not big. You know what I mean? You never want to. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you don't you don't want to come out and say, hey, we're the smallest band in town and we can't sell tickets. I mean, that's that's not what you want to do. But, you know, back to the solo albums. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, that was that was just huge. I mean, again, we didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. It was all of a sudden just like, hey, this year I'm getting four Kiss records, not one. Sure. You know, it's more Christmas presents under the tree because I'm going to get all the Kiss albums. Now, 40 years later, and we look back and we hear the reality of what was happening back then. And you realize that, you know, hey, it might have just been the record label itself wanting to make this bigger than it was. I, hey, it's Kiss. We can't sell 1 million total units of four albums when we just sold 1 million of the previous album, (laughs) you know, that's that in the record industry is a failure. I would, uh, I would have loved to been in the marketing meeting where they concocted that idea. And funnily enough, um, I have a dear friend who worked with one direction for years from like the infancy of one direction. And I actually tossed this idea at this person and said, you should release One Direction solo albums on the same day. And this is when they were selling out Giant Stadium three nights and they were arguably the biggest act on the planet, you know, generating hundreds of millions of dollars per year, most of which did not come from record sales. It came from touring and merch and kind of all the, the things that Kiss, you know, or Kiss for 
And this person said to me, well, no one's ever done that before. And I'm like, no, they absolutely have. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let me give you a little history here. <laughs> you know, and, and what was what was funny about it is that they they eventually each did release solo records. And, and, and we all know how the story ends. Harry Styles is arguably one of the biggest artists on the planet. And, and you know, the, the, the Justin Timberlake or Robbie Williams of the band or whatever. And he's absolutely incredible to, to, to give him credit. But uh, yeah, I can't, I can't think of any, any artist today or even in the last 20, 30 years who could pull that off. Like I, no. I you know, it's smartest, dumbest idea of all time. If you really think about what it, what it was. Oh, it, it was, it was a brilliant marketing plan. I mean, it just, I mean, it was everywhere. I mean, we, we yeah. all know again, timeline, those solo albums were everywhere. You thought perception wise, this was absolutely huge. Yeah. Now, 40 years later, you know, the running joke is, you know, we, we, what we shipped, we shipped platinum and returned gold or whatever it was, you know, it's, you know, yeah. that, and that, that the Kiss solo albums rightfully or wrongfully were the reason that RIA awards ch changed from being awarded for shipping units to change to selling units. Right. <laughs> I mean, just hey, because you have a failure, because I mean, hey guys, I got to run. I'll be half I'll a be million back. of each. Okay. It was, they sold a million of each, so it's not an abject failure. It's just when you when you print a when you press a million and you have to put a half a million of each one of them into a cutout bin for two ninety eight at Zayers, it, it looks really bad. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, again, perception is reality. The perception in nineteen seventy eight was this was massive. It was monstrous. It was huge. It it had to succeed. It couldn't fail. Sure. 40 years later, all the interviews you read with people from, you know, uh, from Casablanca at the time and anybody in the industry, they're like, oh, please, this was an absolute failure. The thing you know, that cracks me up, too, about that period is that the revisionist history of the band, right, where they talk about we did it purely to appease these other two band members. I've, I've heard Gene and Paul say that countless times because they were quote unquote gonna leave the band. I don't, I don't necessarily buy into that or believe that. I think somebody, probably Bill O'Coin, came up with that idea and everybody just got on board with it. Because I, I don't think anybody, to call a spade a spade, I don't think anybody anticipated Peter Chris, you know, making Dressed to Kill as a solo artist. You know what I mean? So it's, a, it's a, although, although Frank might argue that point because he's a huge Peter Chris fan. Well, but, I love uh, that record, but, but to your point, you're right. And, and that's the whole thing. I think that there was a little bit more uh, interest on all, all of their parts. They may say it's to appease too, but it was to please for. Right. Well, sp well speaking of perception, I mean, unless you're like a geek like us that follows the industry or kiss like we do your average person that was in the kiss back then and back in the day they they don't know that those records didn't sell like that they think that those solar records were huge and dynasty was huge and and all that so there's your perception game playing out right there yeah yeah i mean you know and and, and and john to your point i i think i think there's probably some truth to that because kiss by 78 were starting to believe their own perception. Right. You know, Kiss had to be bigger than what Kiss was the year before. 
and the year before that and the year before that. Kiss as a band couldn't be less than we were. Right. We are the biggest. Nobody does it. We are the only ones who can do this. So how do you top everything they've done prior to that? Alive 2 and Love Gun and Rock and Roll Over and Destroyer Alive. I mean, you know, we all can sit here and basically go, that was that was Kiss. Those albums right there from Alive to Alive 2, that was super Kiss. Yes. It just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, they were winning the People's Choice Awards and they were winning the Gallup poll and beating Led Zeppelin. And so nobody else could ever do this. We're going to release four solo albums. Maybe <laughs> maybe partially it does appease Ace and Peter, but you can't tell me it also doesn't appease the egos of all four guys just to say we are so big, nobody else could do this. Sure. Well, it's funny because that... The solo records, in my opinion, outside of the Beatles, they were the only band I can think of. You could argue Led Zeppelin, but I'm really going to take those two bands, right? They're the only two rock and roll bands in history where you actually knew every member of the band. I can't mm -hmm. think, you don't, I mean, the Stones, like, no offense to Bill Wyman and Charlie. If you talk about the Rolling Stones, people think the Rolling Stones are Mick and Keith, right? Or even the Who, or even these other bands, but they that, that that moment when they dropped the four albums you know solidified just how enormous each one of the characters was on their own that they could get away with it that's the that's the part that's crazy if you think about it you know? do you do, do you do you guys think that when they dropped the solo albums in 78 that's when it basically made the shift from gene paul ace and peter to the four characters, that the characters became bigger than the band members? That's a um, great question. I'll, I'd love to hear Frank's opinion on that. Meaning like, I mean, the Spaceman and the Catman and all that? Yeah, yeah. That. all of a sudden that, well, people are more recognizable of the characters now, the makeup, well, I, the logo, the just, just yes, the, the superhero alter ego is now bigger than Clark Kent, Gene Simmons. I, I, I think until the departure of Ace and Peter, they were always known as Ace and Peter and Gene and Paul versus the characters. I think the 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 spaceman and the catman, all that stuff. I think that's been fed to us since the reunion, you know. And on the merchandise and stuff, you see everything. When we bought merchandise when I was a kid, it said Ace Really, Peter Chris, Paul Stanley on the merchandise. Now, for the past 20 some years, if you buy the merchandise, it says the spaceman, the demon. The, you know, it's like the setup because it's an easier way to sell Eric and Tommy being in the band in the makeup. It's if they decide to carry on without Gene and Paul, it's an easy way. But I kind of I feel like um up until the time that those guys left and they were it was always Ace and, and Paul and Gene and Peter. For well, the I, fans, I, for, for the fans, I think I, I, I agree. I mean, as a fan back in the 70s, I knew them as Gene, Paul, Ace and Peter. But I also I also remember and, and, and Mark would would be able to add to this. There was during the mid 70s, they were starting to drop PR marketing hints that put more focus on the character and and the backstory of the character and the spaceman's origin and that sort of stuff. Not like it is post 
post um, Ace and Peter leaving the band here recently, but they were starting to plant those seeds. I don't think back then they knew what they were doing deliberately as in, oh, we're going to do this and try and steer people more towards characters. I think it was just sort of a natural evolution for a while. But I wonder if 78 with the solo albums, the general public all of a sudden became more focused on characters than the people. As fans, I almost sit here and go, we got we to gotta forget what we think. We're, we're five, we're five diehards. We're not, we're not the, the, the audience that they're trying to sell to. They know they've got us. It's the millions of other people who are just very casual and going, wow, that's a very, look at that cool cartoon character. I'm just, you know, it's a cool character. And, you know, but Frank, I can also add, you know, the evolution recently at post reunion was all for legal reasons. Yeah, that makes in, sense. In, in that, because when I worked for their merchandising company, um, you know, I started working with them in 98. Basically, they had the rights to the makeup. Gene and Paul, you know, and this will forever be an argument among KISS fans, but Gene and Paul own the makeup trademarks for Peter and Ace. You can argue till you're blue in your face, but that's fact. What they don't own are their names. So they don't own Peter Chris and they don't own Ace Fraley. So they can't put out merchandise of a new McFarlane doll of the spaceman makeup and call it Ace Fraley. Sure. They had to come up with, and, and, and they didn't really have to come up with it because it had already been created decades earlier, the demon, the star child, the spaceman and the Catman, And now they didn't have any legal issues with the other two guys and they could use the makeup. So, you know, moving forward here, that was a legal reason, but I think in the late seventies in the general public's eye, it really started to migrate from the person to the character. John, what do you think? There's a lot to unpack here. I don't, I don't know. I, I think the, I think conceptually, I think Michael, you're spot on. I'm just trying to process a lot of this and. You know why it's, it's yeah. tough for, it's tough for like the five of us or any of our listeners for that matter to process this. Right. Because we really have to step out of our being a diehard Kiss fan. Mm-hmm. But you brought up we, a really good point, though, that you haven't met, that we haven't discussed before. The legality of the ownership of the names. Because I had never contemplated that before, but that makes sense. That's another reason to move more towards the character and away from the name itself. It's like Batman is Batman. It's not, you know, Adam West. Right. And what played Batman, but everything that was sold to the public from a standpoint of merchandise was always Batman. So yeah. I can yep. see from a legality standpoint why that would that would also maybe partially force their hand. Because look at what happened with that uh, the Kiss My Ask record. At the time that, that Kiss My Ask came out, you know, Ace still owned his makeup, which is why it looks the cover looks the way that it does. I think that was maybe a bit of a wake-up call for them. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, let, let, let's be honest, whether, whether Gene and Paul were brilliant or lucky doesn't really matter that they had the foresight to purchase that those trademarks was a brilliant move an absolute brilliant move that allowed this band to basically live forever now because now they can yeah. put anybody they want under that makeup you know we're not going to debate whether that's right or wrong they just can there's not really another band that's ever existed that could continue well past the ultimate death of all the original members. And Kiss can, Kiss can do that because of the makeup. I got to jump off in about five minutes here, guys. So okay. um, I would love to continue. That said, I, I got that. I'm, I well, so, yeah. so, 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 so Mark, Mark, you jump Frank, let's give you in this last five minutes opportunity to plug whatever you want to plug. Okay. Well, John, and John we can, we can still chat some more about yeah. this, that this is, I'm loving this, but, but Frank, you know, please plug. I, I know you're getting ready. You're going out on tour in the next few days, few weeks here. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, I just want to say I'd love, I love I, time flies when you're doing this. It's so fun. I could do this with you guys for five hours and it's a pleasure to be on the show with you guys. I'm, I'm really enjoying Thank this. Thank you so much, Frank. Thank you. Thank you, John, too, for the opportunity. Definitely would love to continue this and uh, do another hour or something like of course. that. Of course. I do always, want to talk. Always I got do, an invite. Well, I, I do want to talk about what a great record Crazy Nights is. And I do want to talk about whether uh, Vinny Vincent saved Kiss or not. Yeah. All oh. right. So, so hey. Frank, you, we, we've got it. We've got it. All right. So this is for both of you, John and Frank. Frank, you get to answer this first. Did Vinny Vincent save Kiss? It's not a yes or no answer. I mean, in some ways he did because the music became so much better. And don't get me wrong. I love music from the elder. I love Unmasked. I love those albums. But come on, up against Lick It Up and Creatures of the Night, those records bury those other records. All right. But did he save the band? If he saved the band, then they would have done the whole Creatures of the Night tour. It would have the whole the arenas would have been sold out. And although it was a return to form, you know what I mean? And 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 here's Kiss again on the you know even though Vinny's not pitching on record, there they are the four faces. It's not the elder door knocker and things like that. There's certain things that he now. Let me ask you guys this. I mean, if Vinny doesn't go on and do all these terrible things that he that we know about and all this stuff between now and then that certainly has to influence your decision whether Vinny saved Kiss or not right well because I mean he didn't do all those things then I, 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 I think I can be honest in saying everything he's done post Kiss doesn't influence me I, I will still to this day say he is an incredible songwriter the songs he has written with Kiss are some of the best Kiss songs out there, and I absolutely love them. I'm not a fan of his guitar playing, but I'm just not a fan of Bumblebee guitar playing, period. I mean, that's just my personal taste. But, and this is the argument I always make with this question is, the songs are great, but if Lick It Up, with all of his songwriting, still had Kiss in makeup, I think it would have bombed even worse than Creatures of the Night did and KISS would have ended. Because I think what, what KISS realized on the Creatures of the Night tour was the makeup is holding us back. 
I mean, we've heard that line, but I think it's reality. And and you, I don't know if you guys have heard this in any of the past shows, but you know, my quick example is Lick It Up comes out. It's a phenomenal album for Kiss fans. We're like, yes, these guys are back. It's metal. We love them. Crickets. There's no airplay. There's no MTV. No creatures you're talking about. No, cre- 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 creatures, right. Creatures. No airplay. No MTV. The, the tour gets cut short. It sells poor tickets. Lick It Up comes out. All of a sudden, Lick It Up is getting played all over KQRS, the rock station in Minneapolis that Tommy and I grew up listening to. I called the DJ and I'm played stupid. And I'm like, dude, who the, who the hell is this? Lick It Up. That is a great song. And he's like, dude, that's Kiss. They took their makeup off. Don't they sound great now? And I'm like, fuck you. Go back and listen to Creatures of the Night. It blows away. Lick it up. That, to me, just illustrates what saved Kiss post-Creatures through the 80s. Nothing other other than taking the makeup off. Now, they still had to have great songs because you could take the makeup off and still get all this attention. If your song sucked, you're done. You're done. So they had the great songs, but if all they had were great songs and still had the makeup, I don't think anybody would have ever paid attention to lick it up other than Uh, us. I'm going to say something, right? Maybe controversial. Paul Stanley's idea of taking up the makeup when they took off the makeup actually saved Kiss. Exactly. I'm not, I'm not sure that Vinnie Vinson, who was at the right place at the right time and made a huge contribution on three separate occasions, because you can't underestimate his contributions to Revenge. Revenge. Yep. Really, yeah. Revenge, Revenge has at least three amazing songs. And the rest of it, I, I think, is actually kind of filler. I think the album's sort of overrated for, for, for what it is. Um, but Paul, Paul understood what's, what was at stake and they were, they were beneficiaries of timing. I, to, to your point, yeah. Michael, if they had waited another year to do that and there wasn't the big reveal, it, it might've just been too late. I to- think it would have been. I, th- I, I think if mm-hmm. Kiss kept the makeup on for Lick It Up, that tour would have performed even worse than the Creatures tour. Yeah. And, and it would have permanently destroyed Kiss in the eyes of concert promoters. Right. So they would have forever been a theater band at that yeah. point in time. And mm-hmm. I don't know if Gene and Paul could accept that. Right. And, well, and I also think that if Vinny is guilty of anything, um, is he does, hasn't seemed to learn the lesson that it's like a football team. Not everyone can be the quarterback. Right. You know, and, and I don't understand why. And again, you know, Frank, you'd have to talk to this point because I'm not, I'm not in a band or have, nor have been, but it seems to me like it's, it's a, a team working together for that goal. And some people are really good at songwriting. Some people are really good at, at working on websites, all the stuff you guys do together to get up and rolling. And Vinny was an incredible songwriter, like Michael said, um, but I, I feel like he just couldn't be happy with his role as the guitar player. It's at least from my perspective. And I think that's really what derailed the whole thing more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 there, there's a whole discussion here. I mean, 
could, yeah. you know, if, if, if Vinny was so good in kiss, why wasn't he so good on his own? Why didn't his solo albums, you know, I, why didn't they stand the test of time? Like look it up and creatures have stood, yeah, you know, I mean, and, and is yeah. it because Vinny's songwriting within kiss was so good because he had Gene and Paul doing something to better those songs when Gene and Paul were removed from the picture and Vinny was writing on his own for his solo albums, you end up with the Vinny Vincent invasion, which is literally Vinny trying to overshadow everybody in the band and play a million miles an hour. And, you know, to Tommy's point, that's not a band. That's not a team. You're not in it for the band there. You're in it for yourself. So maybe, you know, the, 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 the bigger question is if they could have worked it out with Vinny and he could have stayed with Kiss through the 80s, what could we have had? Yeah, I don't think we'll ever know, but I don't know that Vinny, and I don't know Vinny from a hole in the wall, but I don't think Vinny had enough uh, self-awareness to be able to pull that off. And it's a combination, I think, of deep insecurity and narcissism, which kind of go hand in hand, right? And we'll never know the answer to that. But he, I mean, but you know, if, if, if Vinny was so big that he saved kiss that he made kiss a viable act again who was kit who was vinnie vincent prior to kiss i don't think any of us knew of vinnie vincent prior to kiss right i mean it was vinnie vincent Cusano. i mean he was a completely different name you know playing different stuff i mean he was on dan hartman's record i mean was it basically disco that he was he was playing guitars on if anything Kiss made Vinnie Vincent. There's no Kiss, Kiss, about that. Kiss saved Vinnie Vincent, basically, so, from obscurity. So funny story about Vinnie. Um, he's from Bridgeport, Connecticut, and that's where the other guitar player in my band, Wayne, is from, and his mother graduated with Vinnie. Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> really? So I was, Interesting. I got, to speak, I got to speak with this with, about with Vinnie when I met him in Orlando. So crazy, the connection there, um, because, uh, you know, Wayne is a huge Kiss fan. You know, he's he's the other guy in the band that's a huge Kiss fan, just like I am. So, uh, small world, oh, but uh, cool. I got like I said, I got to cut it short, guys. I appreciate it. I would love to continue yeah. this and do more, get more uh, material well, pl here. Plug, plug, plug the tour real well, quick. Let let everybody know yeah. where you're going. Sure, uh, we're going out with Megadeth, Lamb of God, and Trivium, and that's starting on August 20th in Austin, Texas, and we're doing a two month long tour. Hopefully, with everything that's going on out there. Yeah. Um, but uh, you can come check us out then. And uh, I think that'll be it for this year. And hopefully things get more normal next year. And we'll be able to tour more on this record that we put out. Uh, Weight of the Falls helps out now. Please check that out as well. And uh, thank you guys. Definitely want to come back on and, and uh, do more of this or do another episode. Because there's a lot of stuff that I didn't get to touch on. And I want you are, to. You, you've got an open door. Sure, and, you're always welcome. And, well, and, and, and of course, please stay, stay safe out there. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, let's hook up in September because you're going to be in Minneapolis twice. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, you guys want to come yeah. out and hang or whatever. I'd love to. I'll send so, you an email. Are, are, are any of you guys on the boat this yeah. year? Uh, Mark, Mark, is, Mark is planning right now. Okay. okay. Are you yeah. going? Oh, yeah. If it happens? I, I just booked like a week ago. I wasn't going to go. Then I was going. Then I wasn't going. So <laughs> it's Hopefully been one of that happens. Kind of 
well, yeah. I didn't know if we were going to be on tour. You know, they, they took the indoor show yeah. in the beginning and that really turned me off. So, but uh, I would love to do this again and I appreciate it once more, one more time. And uh, we'll link up Absolutely. One of the, to see where you guys are at. And John, hopefully I see you soon. It was good to see you. Even if it was too. just on here. So good to see you too, bud. Take, take care, Frank. All right, we'll All right, bye, Frank. Bye-bye. Bye. Just so everybody knows, uh, Frank had to jump. John had a prior commitment, so they had to jump. Um, but they both definitely want to come back and talk some more. Uh, I, Tommy, I don't know about you, but I love that conversation we were getting into. It was so, you know, it was a, it was a great mixture of business and fan. Which is what I enjoy. You know, I want to talk about all the aspects of all of this. And, I, you know, we, we've said this since the get-go. And this is not to, to uh, downgrade or insult anyone. I have zero interest in doing a track-by-track track discussion of Love Gun. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the band and the music business with fans that have different perspectives on a variety of things. So when we talk about different shows and having guests on, I live for these types of interactions because it's fascinating to me. And, and John and Frank were fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it was great because you got Frank who's a musician and you got John who works in the music industry. So we were, we were getting two sides of, of, of a kiss fans perspective which was great. And, and, you know, as I've said many times, I love the business side. I mean, I'm, I'm, I work in the music business, but I, I love the business side of KISS. What's going on out there and why did this happen and how are things being perceived? And just like you, yeah, I have no, I have no interest in going back and doing track by track review of, of KISS Alive. I have, you know, no real interest in digging up the finest minutiae of who played the cello on this one track for five seconds. I mean, that means squat to me. If it means something to you as a listener, that's completely fine. That's, that's perfect. But you know, I mean, as we say, this is our show and we're doing the show that we want to do. Well, and, and, and thank you to each and every one of you who don't send me messages like, what's your favorite Ace Fraley guitar solo? I, I don't, you know. I, I don't know. It depends, depends on the day of the week yeah. and what album I'm listening to. Yeah, so for me, I really, honestly, I, I, this, is, this is the kind of thing that's just an absolute breath of fresh air for me. So I really enjoy all of the interaction. Yeah. So, so I'm thinking some homework for this week's episode. Um, you know, what related to the solo albums, as we were discussing in 78, do you think that might've been a turning point for Kiss becoming character-based, more characters from a public perception, not from a diehard fan? Again, I don't, we're diehards. We got to step out of this discussion. But yeah. from the general public, mm-hmm. mom and dad, your cousin, the neighbor, whoever it is who just knows of Kiss but's not a Kiss fan, do you think when those solo albums came out, it elevated Kiss to becoming more about the characters and the makeup, bigger than the person that was under it? Mm-hmm. And if not, 
do you think there was another moment why? when that happened? Yeah, why why wasn't it mm -hmm. then? But was there another point did that did that happen? I mean, was it ninety-six when they did the reunion? I, I I don't know, but I'd love to get your take on that. And uh, you know, are you a hate breed fan? Yeah. And if you are, tell us um, what you like about the band. You go, know, find, give go, people... go, go find Frank just... on tour and talk kiss with them. Yeah, find Frank on tour. And also, too, if you are a hate breed fan, share with other KISS fans here on the page what you like about them and what songs they should start with or what CD or album should oh, they start Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Help other fans out. Say, how do we just, how, how would you want to present this band to someone who's never heard their music before? Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, the reality is hate breed is not like KISS. Um, so if somebody yeah. wanted to listen to it, on the recommendation of a KISS fan, what track or two tracks would you suggest they listen to and why? Mm -hmm. I like that idea. Awesome. Um, so I think next week we've got a guest coming on to talk about the Metal Hall of Fame's recent announcement um, yeah. the inductions, um, okay. which we talked about earlier in the show. Um, but we'll have somebody from the Metal Hall of Fame talking about that. And uh, that's it. If you are watching us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Follow us on Spotify. Subscribe on iTunes. We are everywhere you can find us. I think we are right now posting a bunch of Kyle's photos Man from the lives. Kiss Animalized show in St. Paul, Minnesota, which for me is great because... I mean, I was at all those shows, but I had third row center for oh, that perfect. tour. I've took photos. I can't find my prints and my 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 film. I'm sure it's buried somewhere. You'll but find I, it somewhere. I, I, I can, I swear to God, looking at Kyle's photos, he had to have been like standing next to me or right behind me because that's pretty Probably. much exactly where I, I was third row, third row center. But, you know, as we've talked about, especially at the St. Paul Civic Center shows and Met Center shows back then. Once the lights went down, third row became front row because everything is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's true. It's true. So, yeah, I was, I was dead center. I mean, that was, you know, as a kiss fan, I was just like in awe being that close watching the show. And it's funny because I remember buying those tickets. I, I don't know what I was doing. I was driving around, bloomington for something listening to kq and they're like yeah and kiss is coming to the st paul civic center and tickets are on sale now and i'm like fuck how did i not know about this <laughs> tickets went on sale i immediately drove straight over to great american music in bloomington which has one of the yeah. ticket outlets and mm -hmm. i walked up to their ticket outlet window and i'm just like i'm just like oh fuck i know i'm gonna get like the worst seat in the house here and i'm like i need the best ticket you've got for the kiss show and they're like, uh, third row center. I'm like, Are you fucking shitting me. I mean, <laughs> I think it's because I only bought a single seat. And you're like, here's my money. Here's my yes, money. yes. Before anybody else takes it, yeah. uh, third row center. I mean, I don't know when they went on sale days earlier, and they were still available. Yeah, yeah. That was one but of those. But 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 that's back in the '80s. And again, to your point, because you say this so much is you walk up the night of the show, go to the box office and say, give me the best single ticket you've got. Yeah. Boom. 
if you can go to shows by yourself, you can get great seats even to this day. People are always buying pairs, four seats, you know, so there's always that stray or, you know, there's going to be somebody who buys three seats and there's going to be a straggler one seat left in the middle or one seat left on the end of the aisle that, uh, you know, if you're if you're willing to go by yourself or, you know, if you're going with your buddy and you're like, well, let's buy them separately, we'll we'll both go to the show, but I'll be here and you're going to be back there. Do it. You can get great single seats. Yep. It's true. Um, all right. That's it, everybody. Three sides of the coin. See you next week. So you love the show. Go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks.